Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central spokes to our writing manifesto. Spoke the first to help you write more, spoke the second to help you write better and spoke the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. And today's episode is going to be a writing ramble. That's a show where I have not edited it, I have not planned it in advance. I'm not written a script. I'm just talking to you about whatever's on my mind, sometimes responding to something that somebody's uh, said. Not not an insult necessarily. I mean, I dare say that could happen at some stage in the future in one of the shows, and maybe that has happened in the past, and I've just been uh, being very passive-aggressive about it. But, but in this particular case, I want to do another writing ramble. Now, I have said to listeners... Um, I would love you to submit some of your first pages. If you're listening to this and you have written a novel and you haven't sent it off yet and you want and you've really worked on it or you've written a really, really good novella or short story, um, it doesn't have to be really, really good. But I suppose what I mean is it has to be the best that you can make it. You've gone back, you've edited it, you've taken it as far as you possibly can and you'd like some feedback, then um, I'm really open to folks sending me their first pages the first 250 words I'm defining a page as, uh, that's slightly arbitrary, but that's the uh, metric I've used and I'm going to stick with it. Um, if you go to my website, www.timclairpoet.co.uk, there's a little contact me button. Click on that and you can send me, just send me the 250 words in just a text form, plain text format. Just set, post, post it into the body of the email. Just include your name and the title. I don't need any other preamble. That's totally fine. You can also use that. Um, little button to just say hello and um, talk to me about anything you're up to with your writing or something you'd like me to include on the show or give me any feedback anything like that really love hearing from you and a lot of you use it for that but if you'd like to submit some stuff I have had some submissions people have said overwhelmingly they'd really like me to do some more first page shows so I'm, I'm going to record those I just I had this particular topic in mind someone had Said, uh, made, gave, re responded to a post I made on Twitter and I would really I really felt like I couldn't respond fully just in Twitter or I could but it would be really bad so I thought why don't I record an episode on it because it's on the subject of writing but just so you know some people have submitted some first pages I'm hoping to get some more and then I'm going to do some first page episodes and that's on my to-do list I'm committing to it uh I would like to do it as well. I've handed the book in that I was working on, so I've got a slightly more flexible schedule. So that's what that's what's going to be coming up. Don't you worry about that. Um, but today is a writing ramble episode where I just want to talk on a subject, and and specifically. So, I. Hmm. How to begin? Well, on there's. I, I've after spending a lot of time not on Twitter I've started spending a lot of time on social media again and writing Twitter is an interesting place to me I as somebody who maybe is a little bit more of a sensitive soul and maybe occasionally prone to insecurity and vulnerability I, I think I need to own that I think sometimes I interpret things people say in the worst possible light um not making them the baddie, but thinking, is that aimed at me? <laughs> uh, or tacitly at me or people like me? I, I don't know. Like, I, I can be quite defensive. The, uh, and I find writing Twitter less 
supportive than it could be sometimes there's a lot of pylons in it and maybe that's true of every aspect of social media is that the people who are most motivated to make a lot of noise are the people who are uh, have the, have the most axes to grind uh, but nonetheless I sometimes find that writing Twitter a little bit of a an exercise in pylons and on what's the latest controversy of the week and people rounding on a subject and somebody who said something that other people don't agree with perhaps sensibly don't agree with who's already had 150 people messaging them or quote tweeting them saying why they are wrong and that they're stupid and their opinion is stupid I, it's always interesting to me when someone decides they want they need what will materially help is is there being the 151st that that they need to add their position as well and spread the bad opinion to other people they follow i think there's often a fear on twitter that somebody gives an opinion and if you don't kind of if you disagree with it if you don't get in front of it and co-opt it and launch a rebuttal then it will just kind of be accepted uncritically by a load of other writers. And so you there's always this there's always this urgency as if if we don't control the narrative right now, then things are gonna go terribly, terribly wrong. And I'm saying that, but I suppose I'm guilty of that as well because you know what I ended started posting was really a response to a few things I've seen and seen over the years not just online but in interviews and in books and things like that but I had seen a couple of posts about it and what I started posting about was and I've written a whole book on this top, topic really I'm um, saying how about how I have very mixed feelings about people proudly telling the story of how they wrote their novel by getting up three hours early every day before their shitty job for a year or they wrote it during the commute every morning or every evening once the kids were asleep i think and i'm going to put in a load of caveats and qualifiers that i didn't have space to there which i think on reflection are sensible but i think there's often people say about like i wrote my first novel while i was you know, I was working as a security guard, I was doing nights, and then I'd write my novel sometimes at my, you know, while I had a moment to myself, or I'd come home, and in the early hours of the morning, I'd do three hours writing, and then I'd go to sleep, and then I'd get up, and, or, you know, I was looking after my kids, and, and you know, J.K. Rowling's a great example of this, the myth-making around this, that she, you know, she had a baby, she would walk the baby in the stroller to the cafe and type, um, and then come back home, and then that created this novel that made her a multi-millionaire this idea that it's reasonable to expect of yourself that the thing the writer must do to be a writer is essentially at a bare minimum be working two full-time jobs the job that, that is already very taxing tiring the job that they hate um that doesn't pay very well that they that they have to that they they looking to for, for writing to escape, or or they're a parent and uh, they don't you know they don't have much money and time and they've hardly slept because of it, or you know all the dreadful job and 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 then they go and they say you know I wrote you know you can't writing is something you do around your job writing you've got to make time for it 
I did this, this, and this, and and then I my, then my novel was a big success. But I started off, you know, no one, you know, no one gave me a handout. I had to do it this way. That, I mean, and I, they're not all kind of self-made, uh, self-made person-style narratives of like no one gave me a handout. I think most people are pretty sympathetic to the idea that you know you can have help, but they're generally framed as positive inspiration stories, right? They're like, oh, look, I found it really hard when I was starting out. I remember, you know, having to stay up nights, fitting it around, doing split shifts at, with bar work. I'd come home, I'd stay, I'd, I'd brew a pot of coffee, I'd stay up to 3 a.m. writing, go to bed, get up the next morning, go to work. And that's how I did it. I, you know, scraped the time. No one made time for me. I, I had to make it for myself. And what they're, I guess the positive thing they're trying to say is like, I managed that. It was hard, but I managed it. You can too. You don't have to be a certain type of person. You don't have to be a lady of leisure with servants to do all your work for you and a nanny to look after your child or your children uh, and no financial obligations before you're allowed to write. You can write because you're moved to and you can eke out moments in the day and you can find gaps and you can do your writing in those moments same you know with you know guys saying you know like I you know you don't have to have gone and done a creative writing course at university and had that time made for you You don't have to paid for expensive writing courses you don't have to have these qualifications to do it you just have to have a passion for stories and then you make the time so I understand, I want to be clear, I understand the positive messages behind those. But I, I, I want to say this as somebody who worked himself into a nervous breakdown in his mid-twenties. Um, which, you know, like looking back, I was like really young to be burning out, right? But of course it can happen at any age, really. If you are putting yourself under huge amounts of pressure, it can happen to teenagers you know going to cramming school in summer to try and make themselves super duper academically ready so they can ace exams you know it can do it, anyone who's under a huge amount of pressure who feels like these things are part of their identity or feels like they have to do it it can become really hard and so that's what i wanted to write about you know i think it's i i'm i and i do not want to take away from the amazing achievement of somebody who manages to work a full-time job come home like either get up super early every day and write with this amazing discipline or comes home late and, and does it or writes while the baby's asleep and manages to finish a novel i am not sneering at their achievements at any level but i think we've got to be really careful about using examples of extreme crunch, extreme sacrifice, extreme burning of the candle at both end, uh, ends. And if, you know, creative writing, if you're doing that every day, you are working a second job. You're working now two jobs. And writing, as you'll know, can take up a lot of your brain space as well. And then you're doing another job as well. And if you're doing that you know, to finish a book, not just, you know, writing in a journal or something for 20 minutes, but you're doing, you're putting hours in a day. That's intense. And I think it's amazing if you manage to do that. And then, it, and then 
glory of glories it's it gets picked up by a publisher it sells you get a load of money you can ultimately leave your job and and then those people want to say you know, look, look i may be a writer now but i wasn't born into this it's not an aristocratic uh, position it's not a bloodline i didn't inherit it i got here the hard way by just putting one foot in front of the other. I get that, but the danger is you tell those stories, and and, and of course it's the best-selling authors, it's the authors who are wildly successful whose stories are listened to in those situations. And they are non-representative. This is survivorship bias, right? These people are not representative of what normally happens if you try to work two full-time jobs for a year or more. Maybe in your first attempt at writing a novel. And, and it sounds like I'm being incredibly negative and I'm, I'm going to get to why I, I'm, I don't think that my position is negative. And I don't think, I think sometimes people get defensive because what they feel is like I'm trying to, this is what, well this, I, I can only speak for myself actually. I, when I was working so hard and I had this idea of a work ethic where I had to keep going and keep going and keep going. People would say, you've got to understand, most writers spend a lot of their... Most people don't get published. And many, 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 many writers who do get published earn less than minimum wage. And I felt like people were saying to me, because I know that people... You know, you, but I know that people are professional writers and I know that people make adequate livings. And I know that there are some people who make very good livings from writing. So... I, you know, if they hadn't bothered, if they'd looked at those odds and gone, well, you know, I can see that you know most writers don't do this, then, of course, they wouldn't have got access to any of those things. So what are you saying? Should I give up? Are you trying to take away my dream? This is the thing that I feel most moved to do in the world. Are you saying to me I should just not bother? No? Then then how should I proceed? Because you're kind of going, oh, manage your expectations. So, yeah, so how does that change my behaviour? I would have got really defensive. I would have felt like they were trying to take it away from me. I would have said, you know, actually, maybe instead of going, oh, you know, you probably won't get anywhere. Maybe say, look, I can see that this is important to you. How can I support you? Gosh, you're taking on something really difficult. You know, I think, it, you know, imagining my daughter being much older and wanting to do something, go into a career where the chances of success are... It's, you know, it's really competitive and really tough. It takes a lot of work and a lot of it might be to do with connections as well. And some people have got a massive advantage over other people. and It's not very fair all the time. What do you do? Do you try and protect them from being hurt by saying don't do it? Do you try and give them a balanced viewpoint so at least they make a informed decision? Or do you say, look, I, I I, love you and my instinct is to want to protect you from disappointment. Because I tell you now, I've never had a family member or a friend when I talk about writing. Very rarely, I can't think of any instance. Turn to me when I talk about working on a book, finding it difficult, working on wanting to do something you know like a stage a show wanting to be a writer wanting to work in you know journalism or video games any of the things that I've done over my life nobody while hearing those things has said 
fucking yes, Tim. Go for it. You should just go for it. Just chase that. How can I support you? Or, look, I don't, you know, I'll be cheering you on. Do it. That's fucking wicked. How exciting. People always go, well, just be kind to yourself, you know. Don't be kind to yourself. Don't take it easy. You know, there's lots of different ways to approach things. There's no rush. Just be careful. You know, you don't have to do this to be of value. It's really hard. You know, that is a tough thing you're going into. People always want to moderate your expectations. And I think what... I think, you know, where that comes from is a place of wanting to... Wanting to protect you. Wanting to emotionally shield you. Because your friends, the people around you, are really going to... Not reap many of the benefits, but they will have to deal with the emotional fallout. So I think they'll almost always err on the side of conservatism. Also because nobody, they also, I think they're very aware that they're not the ones taking the risk. So it would kind of like be unfair of them to go, yeah, bet the farm on that. You know, to push you to work harder. They're always going to be the ones saying, ease off. Because well, I guess we all want to protect people we love from disappointment. Sometimes we have might have mixed feelings about their trying something that maybe we don't feel brave enough to do. But I think it's more the positive thing rather than some negative jealousy thing. And, you know, you're, you feel more guilty for things that if you push someone to do something and they absolutely face plant. You feel more guilty for that than encouraging them to be more conservative and then there's some putative gain that they didn't make later down the line because that's only notional isn't it so that's all I was thinking of I, I, I just this idea of when we talk about these things and the, the stories we tell about how people became writers are often ones of crunch and overwork and working multiple jobs and we and 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 people proudly share these stories of how they worked and worked and worked and they this is how they broke in and i got made myself really ill by working that way by working really hard by working a full-time minimum wage job while trying to finish a novel with the novel i was working on trying to finish being my way out of the shitty job of the rental market where I could bear you know I could barely pay my rent and all that money was it was but it was costing me more than it would to have a to to have a mortgage you know and that was just going into the pocket of a landlord who and I was spending most of my time working in a job for all, that I that, that that meant nothing to me that didn't use any of my skills that that I did I wasn't contributing anything to it really from my own you know personality though I think anyone could have done that job and I, it was fine but I just it didn't it was meaningless to me it wasn't contributing to a cause I cared about you know I remember when I did envelope stuffing for a arts organization and actually that was minimum wage work but I was sending stuff out it, I kind of cared about what I was doing you know I was sending out letters to people about arts events and at least I felt like I'm helping promote an area that I, I, I did that didn't make me feel miserable it was you know only a short-term gig but 
but this was just something where I just didn't care about data entry, you know. And and then I was coming home trying to write this novel in the evening, and I needed the novel to sell and sell enough that I could quit my job because I hated my job and I didn't really like myself either. So it was going to solve that problem. And I felt like my relationship was, I felt accurately that my relationship was falling apart. And I felt like it might save that. Or if not, it might make somebody else love me because I would be worthwhile because I would have done a thing. I wouldn't just be working in a data entry job. And, and, you know, that's a terrible attitude to have because why should a human be less lovable or of less intrinsic worth because they do a job that isn't as intrinsically glamorous? Because that's what we are, aren't we? We're, we're, our, we're, we're how we exchange our time for capital. That's our identity. And that's certainly how I would choose somebody to be in a relationship with or to have sex with. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 bananas, that, already. So I, I know it's distorted thinking. But so many of these stories end up being shared as aspirational. I worked and worked and worked and then... But they rely on the payoff at the end, don't they? They rely on the book. And I, I just cannot think of worse conditions to write something even slightly okay than you're knackered you are miserable you are and then you're giving up time that you should be spending that you could spend sleeping that you could be spending seeing your friends that you could be set spending doing exercise walking enjoying nature going swimming uh dating you could be doing all sorts of amazing stuff you could be seeing your family you could be cooking for yourself you could be reading you could there's all these things you could be doing and if every day you are spending two three hours on this project i've got to tell you probably it's not going to be published probably i don't know you but just now immediately we start getting into what they call the third person effect, right? Where we go, I know what the odds are, but I don't think the odds apply to me. They, yeah, they apply to other people, but they don't apply to me. Other people are influenced by advertising. I'm not. Yeah, I accept that other people are. I'm not influenced by advertising. I accept that other people's uh marriages are affected by this whatever the statistic is for breakouts i hear lots of different ones uh mentioned and disputed but i am not affected by those odds i don't i because i know my situation they must be skewed by other factors that don't apply to me it's a funny it's it's a funny old thing when you come to write and you go but then how could you keep going if you I mean, we do not have the odd. We do not have reliable, good statistics on how many novels are written versus how many are published. Because by their very nature, novels that are partly written and abandoned, novels that are completely written and then abandoned, not submitted, novels that are completely written, submitted and don't get published, we have very few. There are not. There's not like big, well-funded studies on how many of those are produced uh and and it would be really difficult to get to it would be it would cost so much money to do a, a well-funded study that didn't have massive sampling bias you can't just set up an online survey because 
that's going to be massively biased by the kind of people who answer it. And like, might it might be overly enriched by people who are novelists, right? If you then send the word out to creative writing sites or whatever, how do you get a fair sample that's large enough to detect what you're looking for? Well, no one's ever going to fund a study like that because it's it's a passing interest, and maybe certain companies would want to fund like junk research into it so they could get a little uh, press release out to various newspapers going and x number of people have got a, 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 a written a novel that they gave up on or didn't get published or whatever so we'll never really know the exact statistics but i mean it just seems to me that book probably isn't going to get published but we hear the stories of the ones that do that, on the face of it, that seems really depressing, right? And um, I had so uh, somebody on Twitter, um, uh, Mary Greatrix, said to me, Tim, this is a very interesting thread. I didn't need to read that bit to you. Uh, that's just purely a little bit of complimentary fluff to me, but fine. I, you know, it was a very interesting thread, though especially to someone who got up at six to to write before my dull, draining nine to five. Do you think there's a solution for the individual who wants to write but has to pay the bills? I'm under un, no illusion that my book will change the world, but equally, I'm not sure I can justify going part-time for what is essentially currently a hobby. I completely agree with what you're saying. That is, uh, you know, about overwork and the dangers of it and how it will burn you out. But I wonder what you think is the alternative. A really, really, really good question. Because what am I saying to everyone? Shut the fuck up. Stop writing. You know, they're right. They, you know, they, they want to, you want to write. What am I saying? Am I saying, oh, sorry. Oh, you're on low wage. You're working class and you're trying to get by. You're doing a job that takes up a lot of your time. Or you've got responsibilities because you're a parent or you're, you're a carer. Uh, tough shit. You shouldn't be writing because you'll make yourself ill. Shut up. Leave it to upper middle class people who are independently wealthy who can take a sabbatical from work who've got a rich partner who can cover them while they cover for them while they spend a year two years writing a novel and if they the novel doesn't happen it doesn't matter they can go back to work because their company held their position open for them oh look they just got you know it is writing only for people who are on get a, a generous redundancy pa package people who are on gardening leave uh people who get a windfall because they just sold their business or whatever people who are connected enough you know a celebrity in another area is that the only way we're allowed to write or is writing does writing always have to be about horrendous crunch and pressure or is that a false dichotomy and is are there third ways are there other options so i want to talk about what, how what some other options might be and just some attitudinal things what i don't want to do is i'll give you an example this morning uh, i looked online and um, there's just been an announcement of a, a new parenting advice book from ex-Spice Girl Emma Bunton and some people were rolling their eyes and getting pissed off because they're like what on earth can a multi-millionaire tell me about the challenges of being a mum because for a lot of people 
many of the challenges are intrinsically tied up to you know not having enough money <laughs> having to work having being a single parent having all sorts of challenges because you can't afford childcare or all of those things that somebody who might be very rich wouldn't have to face now i i'm not using this as a chance to um launch an assault on emma bunton i'm sure she's a very very nice person very valuable person and might have some lovely light-hearted and um supportive advice in that book i'm not that isn't my point but i think writing advice often focuses on you have to make so much of assumptions about what someone has access to and what stage they're at and how much free time they've had got and how much support of their partner is and what state their mental health is in you know that idea of like oh you've got to be really thick-skinned about what people think about your book well, one, I see fuck all writers being thick-skinned about their book. They, you know, they wet. They'll they'll respond. They'll 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 make. They'll they'll subtweet. They will create justifications for responding. So actually, they're responding righteously to defend their book and other books like it because of some. Actually, because of some ideological infraction that the other person criticizing it has made uh rather than that person just not enjoying it you know i i i think writers are generally less thick-skinned and uh, large-souled than they advise people to be but why should but it's not easy if you are if you have certain emotional vulnerabilities if you if you suffer from various mental illness issues right should you just shut up then because you can't deal with the world of rejection you've got to be resilient you've got to be resilient and tough you're gonna to have to deal with a lot of rejection you're gonna work on stuff and it's gonna get thrown back in your face you've got to be resilient people say over and over again often from a position of power often from a position of being comfortably off as authors if not bestsellers well look that's just gonna lock out a load of people who can't be like that are we just saying those humans don't get to write books we just don't have stories from that type of person that you've got to be this kind of incredibly put together you've got to never ever have an emotional response to something you can't be vulnerable you can't care about it because you've got to be resilient you've got to be tough you've got to be thick-skinned you can be useful too but the idea you've got to be that it's a moral failing not to be fuck that and, and and the say the same with this really. I, I I've said before, and I, forgive me for repeating myself, but um, Dorothea Brand wrote, I think it was called on, on becoming a writer, and she was the person who first popularised the idea of morning pages that were later reintroduced in the artist's way. Um, but she didn't call them morning pages but she said what you need to do is get up half an hour to an hour earlier than you customarily do and sit down and write and you write for that full hour and I've sort of teasingly pushed back against this one by saying I just don't I know so few people who are actually able to do that for more than a couple of days Especially if you've got a partner who you're going to consistently wake up by setting an alarm an hour earlier. Um, that's going to be pretty brutal on them. And then now you're missing out on extra sleep 
because of it. So you're cutting into your actual sleep and that's going to cut into your well-being. You get up and you're going to write. And then I just don't know anyone who can sustain that. So immediately there's a an idea of being... So I'm, I'm sure a few writers can do that. I'm sure there are some people who can set that kind of that kind of routine for themselves and it become very sustaining and then they've kind of won the day because they start off but i think for a lot of people they hear that kind of stuff and it gets normalized and a writer says this is what i do this is what i do and i i put i, I pop out a book every six months this is what i do uh, you know and it's a i mean the absolute definition of privilege is the idea that it's it's not a problem because it's not a problem for me personally this idea that people say I can do it. Why can't you? Well, because we might not be wired the same, because we might have different pressures on us, because there might be all sorts of things about my life that you don't know. And this is a classic example with this, this idea of getting up early or riding on the bus on the way to work. You might be knackered. Your bus might be really jam packed. It might be really hard to find a space to write. You might barely be awake at that time. You might not be an early riser. You might have... You might want to. That might be precious time you can spend with your partner, or time that you could be exercising, or there might be time, you know, in your commute or early in the morning where you need to be tidying the house or looking after your children. And the idea that you just don't have to do that, or well, you might just need the extra sleep, it might be difficult for you to get to sleep earlier so you can do it. It, it. Dorothea Brand was a an open and unapologetic fascist, and I'm not using that term metaphorically she was an actual she was an actual american nazi married to the editor of america's biggest fascist far-right publication and magazine um and she believed in the kind of philosophy of new thought as well which is the idea that the law of attraction was something that she pushed that would ultimately be published in the secret that you get what you sort of bring to you through your attitude and a lot of that was you know came out of the trauma of uh the 1929 wall street crash and this idea that you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps just by believing that you were going to do so and i think that kind of what we sometimes call positive toxic positivity now but like this idea that you can just you can just grab the world and mould it. You, if your will is strong enough, you can just control fate. Isn't true. Of course, we can have different ways of framing things and, and interpreting them, but um, and different lenses that are more or less helpful. But I think in this particular case, Dorothea Brand pushed a kind of a load of kind of mystic bullshit, really. And I, I mean, I must admit, I did quite enjoy reading. Uh, on becoming a writer before I knew that she was a, a Nazi. Uh, I found her quite funny and kind of no-nonsense, but I do think, on reflection, a lot of the regimen she suggests are suspiciously fascist, uh, but just are not ones that I think in practice people can sustain. I think they become... They're like the old... It's always interesting reading the old books of magic. I've got... Um, uh, I read, you know, I've got a, on my shelf, I've got a necromancer's manual from the 15th century. I've got some of um, uh, Rudolf Steiner's stuff on magic as well. And a lot of the rituals that both authors suggest that you have to do to 
variously communicate with um, people who've passed beyond the veil of life and to contact your your uh, guardian from uh, beyond the threshold, as, as Steiner puts it. The, the, the rituals that you have to do are so exacting, so ridiculously difficult in terms of purifying yourself and observing things that, that basically no one is going to successfully do them and then they'll blame themselves and so they don't lose faith in the actual practice and I think that's the trick with a lot of things like morning pages and Dorothea Brand's stuff and these incredibly harsh regimens that people suggest is you never really get to test them against reality because no one can sustain them so we just flame out and then feel incredibly guilty because we weren't a proper writer because we, we, we weren't doing it every single day because we weren't squeezing, it wasn't expanding like packing foam into every corner of our life. So we were doing nothing else but writing and thinking about our book. And all I can say is that I, you know, I had a breakdown. I made myself really ill. I became so depressed I couldn't, I couldn't move. I remember seeing the doctor, she said I had the worst case of depression she'd ever seen in her career, which made me perversely proud. But I, I was really just felt like my life was over I was absolutely miserable I burned out and I and when my book didn't sell this book that had just been produced under these conditions of I've got to get it finished and sell it this this surely this come on please I have to do this which of course makes it makes you procrastinate like hell because any problem with the book any moment where it's not just flowing out of you you go god job no I can't because you see your dream, your future, your escape route just dissolving, your salvation. It, it's like it's it's akin to the atavistic terror of a priest gazing up into the at the stars and realizing he doesn't believe in God anymore. You just cannot you cannot entertain that idea and you shut it out and it brings on a lot of terrible emotions. Which is not a good way to create. It's not a good way to write a book when you're scared to fail. It's really difficult to be creative. It's really difficult to be innovative. It's really difficult to be funny. It's really difficult to take risks because you just want to be not wrong. You don't, you're not interested in being interesting. You're not interested in being authentic. You're not interested in experimenting. You're looking at your word count. When will it be finished? When can I submit it? When can I start my forced march to escape the whole thing? Every aspect of my identity and my life and my future and my destiny was tied into this bloody book. And, and then it didn't sell. Nobody wanted it. And it was... It, it was just like everything started to collapse around me. And I felt so heavy and flat. And, 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 and so, yes, this may make me particularly emphatic on that. And I, I, I bring all this up partly to make you take anything I say remember that I'm just one person take it with a pinch of salt and and maybe you're super resilient and maybe you can get up and do three hours every morning I certainly think you're doing something incredible by writing but I just please you've got to be so 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 mindful of your needs you know is this practice based on your needs or is it based on trying to tailor your cloth to the whims of an imagined public of an imagined publishing elite who you've never met and don't know um you're desperately trying to please them because 
they're the people who can call in the choppers and airlift you to freedom. They're going to be lifting you off the roof of the American embassy in Saigon on a rope ladder. And that you've got to type because it's... And that, and that kind of... That forced march doesn't produce more work, in my opinion. It produces less because it's so stressful. Writing becomes this onerous ordeal. It's this thing that every time you come back to it, you're reminded of the stakes. So what are the... What are the alternatives to this then because that's that's what we need to get towards right we need to get towards some kind of there you know there must be more than these than these two extremes well like i i, th I think just to i think immediately i want to give a shout out to mark stay of the bestseller experiment po podcast who's been a guest on this show before and i've been a guest on their show um who I think generally has a pretty healthy attitude towards this. And he's been suggesting people... They're on the Bestseller Experiment podcast. They've been suggesting they do a thing called the 200 words a day challenge. The hashtag is 200 words a day if you want to see people who've been up, been doing it. And on the basis that, you know, 200 words a day is manageable. And it's manageable in a fairly short amount of time. And the idea is little and often. You just try and write 200 words of whatever you're working on. Even if it's not nothing in particular, it doesn't have to be a novel, but 200 words a day. So you're not getting up at, at 4am and, and, and working bleary-eyed, trying to write your masterpiece that's going to make you money. You just say, I'm going to do 200 words is my target. And of course that adds up. You do that five days, you've done a thousand words. So then you do 10 weeks where you did only five days a week and you would have done 10,000 words. So you can slowly, over time, it starts to add up. So if uh, 50 days gives you... 10,000 words then 250 days gives you 50,000 words and 300 days gives you 60,000 words I've lost track of my maths there but basically in under a year you could be getting up to something that's novel length just by writing 200 words a day now you might go over but I don't think the idea is this is your lifeline. This is the way you're going to escape your life. I don't think that's a, a helpful way to think about writing. But it's sustainable and it's doable and you can do it without... I don't think anyone can burn out solely or, or from adding 200 words of prose a day to their life. And once you've started, maybe, some days, just because you're enjoying it, you'll sit in the garden and you'll write with a cup of tea for a couple of hours because you're having a lovely time. Nothing wrong with that. You know, Sunday afternoon, just so happens you haven't got anything on. You do your 200 words and you go, well, yeah, I'll continue. And then you go, yeah, I've written a, a couple of thousand this morning. And then it becomes doable. But the aim is not, you know, you get up and you absolutely bludgeon yourself into submission. You are not right. You're not. This is not your full time job. 
and you want to make it work for you and you want to make it meet your needs and you want you know what hey let me tell you a secret you know the um i did i've done two creative writing uh courses the couch to 80k writing boot camp and my 100 day writing challenge on them i have little 10 minute creative you're supposed to do 10 minutes of creative writing every day 10 minute writing exercises and i suggested with the catch to 80k writing boot camp that you only do one episode a day maximum that you take a day off every week and that you don't do any other writing at least for the first few weeks and some people kind of will message me after a week or two weeks having not written for ages and will go oh I kind of would is it okay to do more than one episode at a time because I find it really difficult not to just jump onto the next one or you know is it all right would it be all right if I start writing in my creative writing notebook because I find it really difficult not to continue writing after the episode that is by design what I've done is create what you do by making writing a scarce and something that you limit your time of doing suddenly instead of it being this onerous duty that's like i've got to gotta get my three hours in today through gritted teeth because that's the only way i'm going to escape this hell it's like oh i get to do my 200 words now oh that didn't feel shall i shall i treat myself and have essentially a second biscuit by continuing going past 200 words when writing finishes feels like that, the, your whole relationship with the process changes and it can become something nourishing and it can become intrinsically worthwhile. You're not then looking to when I get published, I'm going to finally, all this effort's going to pay off. It's something that is enriching your life now on your terms because it's pleasurable, because it's a voyage of discovery, because it's interesting to you because you're learning stuff, because you're getting to create, because you are working different parts of your brain that you wouldn't be normally working, because you're getting to have mischief and invent scenes and go, what could the person say here? And you're challenging yourself and it's play and it's craft and you might go into this kind of flow state where you're enjoying it so much and you're challenged but not stressed that actually it start, the words start to come easily. But you cannot do that from a position of putting a gun to your head. Have you had the experience of being a child and leaving um, friends of your parents' house or um, that's friends of your parents, the house of friends of your parents, not people who are friends with the house that your parents live in. But you, you're leaving the house of friends of your parents or you're leaving grandparents' house and you were just about to say thank you for a nice time and your parents say are you going to say thank you and suddenly saying thank you feels like whatever you say now it's not going to count and now it feels a bit onerous and you feel slightly resentful or you know you saw a job in the house that you uh, that you want to do you're going to clean a worktop or you're going to take out, out some rubbish or whatever and then someone, and then your partner or your housemate says to you, uh, can you clean that stuff up, by the way? Because it's been there for a few days. Uh, and you suddenly, you were going to do it, and you felt quite happy that you were getting around to doing it. But now you've been asked to do it, your attitude, and it feels more onerous, and it feels more like a job. Maybe maybe you're less petty than me, I don't know. I, I, I dare say that is not impossible. 
Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a very human human being, but that's unnecessarily defensive. I'm a very human human being. Oh, sorry for being human. Actually, that's just my humanity. That's just actually my rich inner life that you're criticising. No, but what my point is, whether you feel like something is an obligation or an opportunity, it can be the same thing. But being able to go into it willingly, you know, it is it is a truism that. The same experience can be completely different depending on whether you're choosing to do it or whether you're being forced or pressured into doing it. And I'm sure you can think of lots of examples for that, but on a sort of slightly... I suppose it's, you know, on one level, it's much more trivial with writing. Oh, no, oh, I'm so sorry that you're feeling so pressured into writing. You know, you're not going over the top at Passchendaele. Come on, get over yourself. Yes, but the, the the same thing still applies, that if you only can make yourself write out of a feeling of fear and miserableness, you won't write very much. What you write will be bad and the experience will be horrible. It will be grim. So really the key has always got to be how can you do it with love? primarily love for yourself and that sounds so wishy-washy when people say you remember to love yourself remember to be kind to yourself remember to love yourself i just what the f- how what what does that fucking mean because a lot of the time when someone says be kind to yourself they're basically saying stop stop your dream don't do it oh, i'm gonna sit down and do some writing now remember to be kind to yourself don't do too much well fuck you why not say well done that would help me you are doing amazing oh, i'm cheerleading you no, no, I'm not. Sub- no, I'm not. It sounds like I'm having a go at like. It sounds like I'm parroting secretly, like my partner or my my wife, and she doesn't say those things to me. I'm not being horrible. Okay, my wife always says, "Be kind to yourself." What a cow! I'm not saying that. She, you know that is not. A, I. It's it's more a a thing that I've had in the in the past, just in general, and and often comments not necessarily directed towards me, but just advice to people in general. So I'm I'm not passively aggressively having a go at anyone. I probably am actually, but I can't remember who it is now. So it, it, that person has faded into my memory. But we can find ways, and if that means initially restricting the time we give ourselves to writing to ten minutes a day, so it starts to feel like we start to get a false scarcity. So it starts to feel like a premium activity. So when we sit down to do it, we do start to feel like oh, I could have done that a little bit longer. And it feels manageable and it doesn't outstay its welcome. Just to start off, we can reset our relationship to it. And if I seem confident about this working, it's partly because I still get letters and I've had literally hundreds of letters from my creative writing courses, from people who were writing fuck all and maybe hadn't written for years before they sat down to do the work, to do the courses. And... A week in, two weeks in of doing 10 minutes a day, I like, holy shit, I can write. I can write. It wasn't me. I'm not lazy. I'm not feckless. I'm not useless. I'm not untalented. I just associated writing with the crack of the lash. I associated writing with aversion and loss and guilt and now I'm associating it with play and creation and 
surprise and curiosity and mischief. And I like it. Like I remember liking it when I started, which is why I wanted to do this in the first place. Now, that is not because I've created something immensely clever course. It's because I'm very aware from having been on the other side of really trying to write. And I, I'm still, look, this is, you never, life is managed, not cured. You never put this to bed and it never come back. The desire to impress other people, the desire to be accepted by doing the thing really well, the desire to have a lot of money and external validation oh well done oh i loved it. i you know it's great if people like my work but i don't i fundamentally i think at some honest fundamental level i don't care i have to care on some level because that's why i get paid but really the game is finished by the time it gets to the reader you know it's what i care about is writing and playing and having fun with it that's the joy in it, really, deep down. God, that can be amazing. But worrying about what other people are going to think and what out, people outside it are going to think and have I done this right and where am I and is this the right thing and na-na-na-na-na-na does suck all the joy out of it, it makes it tiring and makes it emotional and you're brought up against yourself and it's tough and it's stressful and then you're thinking, how am I going to pay the bills? Because if you don't have a job apart from writing, then any mistake or any sign that your book might not be finished is potentially sign a sign that you're going to lose your job, that you're not going to be able to pay the bills. I mean, you can drive yourself absolutely bananas thinking about that too much. I know I have. When's this going to be finished? When am I going to be able to send this to my agent? Will my agent like it? Will it be good enough to sell to a publisher? Well, how do I know? I've written a paragraph. This isn't the time, but at the same time, do you just dive into it? Oh, well, you should just, just get the first draft written. What if it's shit? I need to know earlier than that because then I can stop and start something else. You know, if I leave it too late, the longer I leave it without realising all of these things, I'm not saying you're not mad if you think these things. You're not crazy if you look at what you're writing now and you extrapolate how much work it might take you and you ask yourself the entirely sensible question, is the payoff worth what I'm putting into it? It's worth thinking about that with any with any task. You know, like, psychology will talk about resilience and, and I, I mean, I hate the terminology and I hate the research around it because it, it's such shit science, but the, the idea of grit... And, and, and keeping going with something. But at, this, it, it, but at the same time, psychology and neuroscience also look at the phenomenon of perseverance, the inability to stop doing something that is no longer, that is no longer serves you. I mean, you know, one working simplified definition of addiction is continued use despite adverse consequences, right? When you can't stop doing something despite the fact that it's no longer serving you. If, if an animal can't change its behaviour despite, you know, it not no longer getting the payoff that it used to, despite there being better ways of doing it, if you can't update your schema based on the current reality, we don't see that as mental health. We don't see that as grit. That's just 
that's just maladaptive behavior you know perseverance can be the sign of a brain injury in certain animals if they can't update their behavior in response to uh, an aversive stimulus or the maze changing shape if they continue to keep going down the wrong path or to get electrocuted we could we we say that that, that that's that's a, a maladaptive behavior and that yet in writing there's this idea that you plow forwards so it you it's it's reasonable for you to be trying to evaluate your work at t- times, having those feelings come up. And I don't have some absolute response to that where I'm going, here's how you know if your writing's going okay. Here's how you know if you're doing the right pro- project. You just fucking don't. Like, I can't solve that. And writers say, oh, just keep going. Just get the first draft done. Well, fucking good for you if you can sell it. But for a lot of us, we don't know. And a lot of us write entire books that turn out to be not, good enough you know including me and still you know I've got stuff that just didn't turn out how I needed it to it wasn't good enough or I just don't have the audience to kind of get away with being bad I'm kind of quite glad in a way that I'm not well known enough to just be able to churn there's some you know celebrity authors who can just put out any old shit and they will get published and Morrissey is a great example of that. List of the Lost is... I thought it was bad at the time, but it just seems to have got worse with age, which is such a surprising thing. And I feel more comfortable snarking at him now than I did at the time after he has made a bunch of comments. And I know, you know, looking back through his past catalogue, his back catalogue of, of, of comments on things that he always had some problematic views but but his bellendery has um only blossomed since publication and so I feel less bad um suggesting that maybe um he has some issues with um an undue confidence in his own opinion on certain topics uh, and I think that is reflected in his unreadable inexorable uh turgid pretentious and often meaningless prose uh, that I think speaks a complete lack of confidence and um, a tin ear but he was able to sell that book because they they knew that there were people would buy it and because there was no one willing to say to him this is shit no no one was able to roll up a, a newspaper and slap him across the nose and say no no Morrissey. No. Bad Morrissey. Bad Moz. It was just shit. And 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 the, the king had no clothes and he went out and um looked like an absolute spanner. So I'm I'm quite glad in a way that I have lots of people who will just go, what? <laughs> You know, sometimes very nicely. Sometimes I think in, in their heads they're still being euphemistic. But sometimes you have to kind of read a little bit. But they're certainly not going to public, publish it. That's the, the bottom line. It's like, well, it's really good. Not really our thing. Not, uh, we're not really sure. Not really for us. But it should be published and published well. But not by us. Because it's shit. So it's really useful for me to still, that I'm still, no, I'm not such a, I, I'm not such a, a kind of glowing demigod that, that people aren't prepared to tell me that my stuff is bad. Um, but I don't have an answer. So I guess my, my sort of overall answer to this is this this deliberately reduced, gentle, 
I don't think like gentle doesn't mean that you're a part timer or an amateur or that you don't care or that you're not putting 110% in. I think perversely nurturing it from a slow start, giving your imagination room to breathe, giving yourself space for long walks, but writing every day. I think, you know, Mark stays really, I really respect his sort of advice on this. Starting off with that, like 200 words a day. Or if word count doesn't work for you, then 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day, you set a timer and you do it that way. So you're going to turn up and do a certain amount of time if your prose is particularly slow or particularly fast or whatever. Um, but this idea of, of being really super gentle with yourself. And you can get a wall calendar and give yourself a little cross or a star or whatever every day. You manage to hit that target of 200 words a day. But also being understanding if you don't manage to. It can be really good to push for it. Like I, I know that there's sometimes a place for benevolent striving. Where, you know, you go, I, you don't don't make excuses for yourself. Don't go to bed, say, I'm going to actually stay up an extra 10 minutes to do my, finish off my bit of writing for the day. That can be nice and it can feel good. You know, I went and did, this is the first time this has ever happened, but I, I went and ran just over eight miles before breakfast this morning. I think I got up at 10 to 6. So I, I do do stuff where I get up at times that are not, if I had my druthers, they're not the times I would get up. Sure, sure. Like, I, 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 I'm not against... I'm, I'm training for a marathon at the moment, and I am not a runner. I've got flat feet. I Last year, I started doing a bit of running, and I, I ended up losing, like, three stone, and I, I was doing it really for my mental health more. Than, but again, that was the reason I did it. Not because I was going to make money and it was going to allow me to escape my life, but because I, I thought I wanted to do something. I want. I was doing something that made me feel happy. It was hard in the moment, but I felt a great sense of accomplishment afterwards, and that overall was boosting my stress resilience. So it was done for me, not to earn the approval of some putative future. I mean, you're just the best thing about writing for me has just always been the people that it's brought me in contact with the friends I've made and that all those friends don't give a shit that I'm a writer they're very glad when Tim does a book because they know Tim likes writing and it's important to Tim that Tim's a writer and he cares about it and sometimes he worries so they're all for, oh you've finished your book oh I'm so pleased for you they are pleased for me but they're not like oh you've prose is a little subpar this year I, and you're now no longer my friend like no no one you know the least interesting thing about me to my friends probably the most insufferable thing about me is my sense of myself as a writer that's me at my most tedious my most mansplainy my most monologue is when i'm when i'm expositing on the latest obsession that i'm writing about you know it's not it's not super that's not why people it's not why people will care about you. And if people, if you think that you're going to get value in the world and that you're going to have made an impact because you write, I just say it, it, you cannot add to your self-worth, to your value as a human being, one iota by writing. Je Jeffrey Archer, Lord Jeffrey, the ex-Lord Jeffrey Archer, was who, incidentally, I got my first ever money for writing from Jeffrey Archer uh, of Western Supermare. The Western Supermare 
short ghost story, short ghost short short ghost story competition. I came joint first and got the princely sum of ten pounds. I think it was maybe it was twenty pounds, maybe it was fifty pounds. Um, I can't remember from probably was ten pounds knowing him uh, from Jeffrey Archer because he he he, he ponied up the dosh. The I trousered some wonga from Jeffrey Archer. He's written a load of best-selling books and um, I don't think that has changed his worth as a human being one iota. I think people are more attentive to how he's conducted himself um, in in public and private and his his professed ideology than um, the fact that he wrote not a penny more, not a penny less. That was his debut, his paperback debut. I shouldn't know that, but I do. Um, the point being that, like, you are wonderful as you are. Now, I know you don't want that kind of, that sounds patronising. I'm not patting you on the head and going, there, there. You are lovely. But you are lovely and you are incredible. And all the joy in your life is going to come from being, all the joy in my life is like, come from being attentive while I eat a blood orange. And just going, this is fucking great. Eating a really nice pizza playing with my daughter and lifting her up and her teasing me or making me a joke. This morning we drove, I drove her to preschool and we listened to Harry Belafonte jump in the line and we both danced in the car when we were at traffic lights and she beat out the, the drum beat against the window and danced and laughed and giggled and it was wonderful. I... You know, you as a reader, you will get more enjoyment as a as a consumer of movies or video games. You will get more enjoyment than than being a a writer. Writing can be extremely transformative. It has changed my life for me. This latest book that I've written has done all sorts of stuff for me. I'm so it's really changed my life. I, I genuinely I'm not that without hyperbole. I can say that. So I'm not doing down writing. This is, after all, what my podcast's about. But I love stories as well, and there's lots of ways we can relate to them, including just creating them in our lives, being present for others, listening to our friends, having those deep conversations, reading books and consuming them. We can, we, we'll, you'll always have the chance to participate with that. And doing so as a writer is just one of the ways to create to to create and to engage with the great narrative process that is part of being a human that is your birthright as a human your identity is so much more expansive and wonderful and exciting than person who ground out a novel over a year and a half of miserable drudge work like like someone trying to like a like a fucking bulldog passing peach stones you know like if that's not you can just enjoy writing for it you, you don't have anything to prove you're so fucking awesome like you just get to write for you for your own enjoyment and for your own sense of mastery and for your own sense of love and then like if you go and sell it fucking well done to the publishing industry for, for cottoning on to your brilliance but you were always brilliant you do not have to wait for them to acknowledge that you do not have to wait it's not that they sign off and now you're allowed to think you're brilliant you already are and worthwhile and amazing and you influence the world with everything you do every day in ways that you will never realize the scope of your impact and and, the, and that your love and how valued you are as a person 
and, and writing is just and, and then when writing sits in that sense of abundance and that sense of self-acceptance then it becomes easy because it becomes what it is again i would find playing a board game or playing a video game bloody difficult if i thought like my sense of self-worth was contingent on my performance it would not be any any way enjoyable once you free yourself from all that baggage then bloody hell all your excitement about your book comes rushing back and the ideas and the characters that you love and what if this happened and what if this happened and what's going to happen next and can i play around with how it sounds and can i play around with the dialogue and what books should i read so i can become a so i can become better up to the challenge of making this wicked and god i can't wait to share this with my writing friends and my goodness i cannot wait to write this scene maybe i should jump ahead and write this scene now what am i going to write with my 200 words this morning that's exciting that's a wonderful place to create from and, and, and I don't want to jinx it by saying that is also the place that you're much more likely to write something of quality that with work and working with other writers and then working maybe with an agent and then working maybe with an editor will we'll, we'll create something that's going to connect with an audience and that can be published and that has some kind of uh, life commercially or in the hellscape of capitalism. That's, I, I think that's neither here nor there. And, and that money can be hugely useful as well if you it happens to go for... Uh, a, a larger uh, amount of money or whatever and I've seen that happen to people so I do, I, it, it does happen and it's it's difficult not to you know we're so bad at, at gauging and there's no reason why you shouldn't live boldly and grasp for for things that are unlikely and difficult we get one life and and, and why not use that time to go for long shots and, and do the thing that you want to I'm not for a moment suggesting you shouldn't do that um in the sense of i'm not suggesting that you shouldn't because there's not really a risk because you know we're all we've all got the one life anyway so and you know there's not there's not a huge we're all we've all got this time to to use so we might as well throw everything we've got into it i'm not suggesting that i'm just saying that you you can have your cake and eat it in this situation because you can enjoy it the process you you can i suppose it's kind of like hedge betting really but i think you can just you can make the process really enjoyable for yourself by freeing yourself from expectation and this is a choice you and you have to reaffirm and make every single day because you, well, the more you enjoy it, the better it will flow. The more you start thinking, hey, well, this is starting to seem a little bit like genius. This is starting to seem like the great American novel. My goodness, isn't it? I wonder, wonder how I'm going to write about this in my, in my memoirs years from now. I wonder how, I wonder how I would talk about this in an interview. I have look, I have those fantasies of, of how I'm going to explain this book, in a, in a putative uh, interview. Uh, in a year or two years time how I'm going to respond to the interview well well Jane that's a brilliant question actually and I thought about it a lot myself during the creation of this book when it was like the it was like the muse seemed to speak to me and I in lots of ways I didn't write it you know the universe wrote it you know I have those kind of pleasant fantasies and then the anxiety and the worry kind of comes in again because now you're trying to defend something a dream and you don't feel like you're quite up to it it's okay to be vulnerable i'm just 
I just want to say to you, and and it's, uh, and you can get hyped up like I'm getting hyped up now, and then you start to write, and you go, this isn't very good. This isn't how I want it to be. This hasn't come out how I want it. The same way as when you try to draw and the the head's misshapen and the person's ear looks wrong and you go, oh dear, flip. But with each iteration and each try, it gets a little bit writer uh, in the sense of writer with a uh, beginning with an R. And and I forget after I've written a book how many missteps it took. And they weren't really missteps. They were just trial runs and experiments and um, prototypes. But I've, I've uh, you know, pioneers never get it in the middle of the bat and you're not unless you're an absolute psychopath you're not going to not the first page you write is not going to make it into the book i hope if you've got standards it won't because you'll you'll learn what the book's about as you write so you don't need to worry at that point you can just go what could happen what happens next and then what if this happened this thing happens okay how could i complicate that what wouldn't happen here Okay, how can I... So this thing happens, and where's the conflict? Okay, here's the conflict, and how does does the does this person uh, get past this problem? No, and yes, but. No, but. You know, how can I up the tension or whatever? You can have fun with that, and you can play, and it can be absorbing. It doesn't have to be brutal, and it doesn't have to be something that you slog out so that... It's hell now, but in five years' time, I'm going to be able to turn back and say, I did this, and that's how I became a success. And that's why you're only a legitimate writer if you do the same thing, because you are sanctifying other people's suffering. You are sanctifying those stories. There is something noble about them, but they're also used to say to writers, Oh, you're finding it difficult. Maybe you're not a real writer. Oh, you're having a horrible time. Maybe you should just fucking shut up. There are so many people who crank out an insane level of productivity and let them only worry about yourself. Just worry about you. It's hard, I know. Maybe their stuff isn't very good and that's how they're doing it. But they appeal to... but their work does a certain thing and they they just don't have very high standards maybe they there's some huge chunks of their life missing to give themselves enough time to do that maybe they're not experimenting very much and and that's how they do it or maybe they are just have an extraordinarily aptitude extraordinary aptitude for this and you don't that doesn't mean you you're not going to you're going to enjoy writing any less let's face it, like with some of the most famous writers, do we remember them for 10 books? No, generally we remember them for one or two. That's all you that's all you really ever need to do in the end is just have one book that just nails it. And we don't know which one that is, but we're going to get better and better at writing the more we write. So why don't we just play? And maybe it will strike us when we're least expecting it. This moment, let's get ourselves ready for the moment of inspiration to strike. Let's play and mess about and write these silly scenes and and say, what if I wrote a scene and it didn't have any adjectives? What if I wrote a scene and I wasn't allowed to use the letter T? What if I wrote a scene and every sentence has one more word to the last than the last until I get up to 10 words and then and then it drops back down to nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and how I experiment with how the how the rhythm sounds when I do that. What if I experiment with different 
numbers of syllables what if i try and write an entire scene that only uses one syllable words all those things it becomes a play it becomes you hold it loosely you go what if i write this really rich and wet and exuberant and full of gasping surging almost melodramatic prose what happens then what if i write this in the voice of a character with that mode is when the writing will start to come easier Sitting down and going, I've got to fucking write this scene because it's in the schedule. I think that writing might turn out a little bit flat. It's a job, you say to yourself. It's a jo- Writing is a job. Yeah, but what do you mean by job? If you mean horrible, a horrible obligation, I think that your writing will read like it was a job. I think that's all I've got to say for on this topic. I hope that was helpful. I know I sort of go into a slight fugue state when I'm talking about these things and then later on I'm kind of like, did I did I say anything? <laughs> was that a thing? Who am I? If you enjoyed the show and you would like to support the show, uh, you can go to my coffee page and drop me a few beans. That helps me keep the lights on. It helps me. I've just paid today the hosting costs for the SoundCloud page. Um, that allows me to keep over... I think over 300 episodes online now um, but you can go to my coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare the link's in the show notes you can drop me a few beans or you can set up a little recurring monthly donation I so appreciate those and they allow me to do the show at all um, also if you enjoyed today's episode you I would please go back and listen to some of the back catalogue i know i've been releasing on odd days and odd times so you are yeah you can also subscribe on uh, places like itunes and on the stitcher app and on uh, on soundcloud itself and then you'll know and you'll be informed every time a new episode comes out as i'm, I'm do- being keeping a slightly wild um release schedule at the moment which is what they tell you not to do but this is just thus is how my life is at the moment um i I would really appreciate it if you listened to previous episodes where i speak to other authors because i think as much as i have my opinions about writing you're probably always going to get a better sense of writing by listening to a broad spectrum of opinions and i've spoken to from every to everyone from fiction writers and many many best-selling authors um to debut authors to uh, poets to non-fiction writers to i spoke to a publicist i spoke to my own agent uh no to my own editor um and i have also spoken to some neuroscientists and psychologists about the sort of psychology of writing and i think those episodes are really really cool and um i enjoyed them an awful lot so there's a there's actually a little playlist if you go to my soundcloud page where you can just listen to all of the interviews with the writers all collected in one place you can listen to those and get what i hope is some good advice right that's it i'm done now i'm finished i'm through thank you so much for listening i hope that's been helpful to you why not just write a tiny bit and see how that changes your attitude toward the things and if you're still feeling shit afterwards fine but why not test the proposition by having a little free write for 10 minutes that's what i'm going to do now thank you for listening and i hope you have a wonderful week of writing